Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This is a passage that we know and are familiar to us, oftentimes uh, taken out of the context of the two parables that come before it. Uh, but we will see today how Luke uh, recognizes that, that these two things come together and stay together. Before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again before you this morning in the name of Christ. And as we sit at the feet of the evangelist Luke, we ask that you would give us the same Holy Spirit that you gave him. We ask your Lord that as your word was infallibly inspired and has been infallibly preserved these two millennia, that you would teach us infallibly by it today that Christ might be magnified and all else fade, that your word would not return unto you void, but rather bear the fruit, fruit of repentance, fruit of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in obedience to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Jesus has been preaching and teaching Not only his intimate disciples, but the crowds there that included even his enemies, the Pharisees. And he's been telling them in the previous chapter, in this chapter, on his way to from Galilee to Judea, what it is properly that consists of the kingdom of God. What is the nature of it and the power of it? What is the... Uh, requirements, if you will, of it as well, and how do the subjects of that kingdom, uh, the members of that kingdom, behave themselves. And as he comes to a pause in his instruction, uh, there is some commotion. Uh, the probably mothers, but parents certainly, but maybe even aunts, uncles, and grandparents, uh, bringing infants unto Jesus to receive a blessing. Uh, it's text in our text that they brought him that he would touch them. We read in the parallel passage in Matthew that he would touch them and pray for them, lay his hands upon them. They were seeking from him a blessing, a blessing that they would seek from a priest, a blessing that they would seek from a prophet, a blessing that they would ex- certainly expect from the Messiah, the Christ that is to come. But his disciples are busy ushering them away. And we can imagine why. Uh, we can, some, in some senses, sympathize with the uh, reason why. Jesus has just been speaking in parables. Another way to translate parable is riddle. Uh, and he is preaching in parables so that the crowds, those that are dull of hearing, those that lack faith, will hear and not hear, see and not see. That very often the the key to the parables had to wait private instruction to the apostles themselves. And if that's the case, if there are people in the crowd that were hearing unprofitably, how much more unprofitable would it be to bring infants to him? 
And yes, he was healing the lame and the blind and the leprous and the sick. He was even raising the dead. But these children, uh, we at least assume, are in perfectly good health. That they're beneath the attention of the Savior that has come and he has this busy work to do. And you see the crowds, ladies, our, our families, give Lord space. We read in Mark chapter 10, the parallel that Mark has, that when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That he was offended. That, that this was absolutely contrary. As rational as it might have been for the disciples to turn away these ladies, or turn away these infants, to turn away these families, as illogical as it may have been, it was an offense to the Lord. And it was contrary to the kingdom. Jesus says in our passage basically this, that the kingdom of God belongs to infants. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. They belong to it. And so Jesus, as we see, uh, forbids, in our passage, forbids forbidding them to come. It's not just that, that, that they're, they're to be allowed to come. It's just that we are not even to, um, to put any obstacles in their way. And not only that, he goes on in verse 17 to say that they are the model for us. And those are the two things we'll be looking at today. First, in verse 16, Jesus forbids their forbidding them to come. Uh, and, and there's a good reason for this. Uh, Jesus came for who? Did he come for the righteous? No. If he come for the righteous, he would have stayed in heaven above because there were none righteous. He came for sinners. And as far as the curse is found, to use the, the poetic language of Isaac Watts, so also is the gospel. That Christ came to save sinners. Now, in our modern era, we tend to elevate the child in a way that uh, almost the opposite pendulum for the way that children were treated in the time of Jesus Christ as valueless. Uh, women and children were often lumped together. And unlike uh, the Victorians and Edwardians on the, the Titanic, women and children first out of chivalry and, uh, and honor and gallantry, all which were shaped by Christianity, uh, they tended to view women and children don't matter. But we tend to think of them as innocence and what precious little babes. And they are precious to us. But as any fresh parent can tell you, they're precious despite their being infants. They're awful little things to come into the world. They never let you sleep and never let you rest. And they are belligerent and ungrateful. Wicked. And we know they're wicked because... Unfortunately and sadly and with great grief to us, they are subject to the penalty of sin just like everyone else. Children die in the womb. Babies die. And death is the penalty for our sin. Not their actual sin, but that, that original sin, the condition, the corruption. When Adam and Eve fell from grace, they beget like begets like. And they beget a sinful and rebellious race into the world. 
And just like if you come across a nest of vipers, you don't care if that little baby snake has never bit you. If it's poisonous, you're going to kill it. And we are poisonous vipers coming into the world. In other words, the reason why infants belong to the kingdom of heaven is because they're sinners. And Christ came to save sinners. The infants need the grace and favor of our Lord. They're not favored by God simply for being babies. They need to stand in the grace of Jesus Christ. They need need the favor of God as anyone else. And... In Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, after Moses has offered the sacrifices, he's come out of the ark. And the Lord says this, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Not because they learned their lesson, but actually the opposite. If he kept cursing the ground for man's sake, the ground wouldn't survive. For the imaginations of man's heart is evil from his youth. And the Hebrew there means beginning. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Jesus tells Nicodemus in that night of the interview in John 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Well, those little babies, they're born of the flesh, and they're flesh, but they need the spirit. No part of humanity can escape the bondage of sin. And so he has come for all parts. I have come to save sinners. I have come to save the little babies too. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just that they need it and so they can rely on his gracious intention. It's that the Lord has covenanted to include such. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, The Lord says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and thy blessing upon thy offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass and willows by the watercourses. The covenantal blessings are to you and to your children after you, he says to Abraham. He says to uh, Isaiah that my blessings will be to them and to their seed. And not just when they get old enough to understand that they need me. But my graciousness will be part of their raising up. In Acts chapter 2. When on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching his sermon. And, and the, 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 the citizens and, and visitors and the pilgrims to Jerusalem for that, uh, for that Passover. They're pricked in their heart and they cry out, what must we do? And Jesus says, I mean, Jesus, Peter says unto them, obviously under the inspiration of the Spirit and and in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord will call. That there are that he has actually said, and the way that the Lord works is to to believers and their children. Ever since the day of Abraham, that has been the case. Now, 
It's not to say that these infants brought unto Jesus Christ and receiving his blessing received all that they ever needed from Jesus Christ. It could be that they were taken away and never again they were satisfied with the being touched by the holy man. And they were raised up maybe like the Pharisees and they learned to trust in their own righteousness and not submit themselves unto the Lord and they would be lost as anybody else. The Lord's grace reaches us in different ways and expects different things at different portions of our life. We are to give ourselves to the Lord. But most of you here were raised in Christian homes. And while I too was raised in a Christian home, and while there is times in my life that I recognize myself to be a sinner under the judgment of God and having to go to Christ for grace, I didn't come to it as, as some people come to it, Uh, being raised heathens and being a shock, I knew, because my family was, was faithful to instruct me that I was a sinner, I knew from the moment I knew anything that we worshiped God because He was merciful to us, that He gave us Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins, that we were sinners. But it's one thing to be taught that as a kid. It's one thing to own it for ourselves. But here's the thing. When you're taught it as a kid and you're raised up in that, you're disciplined in that home and disciplined in that church and you become part of that kingdom, even when the faith is more of your folks than it is yours, it nevertheless is fruitful to your faith. That when you look back and you believe you bless the mother that that taught you the doctrines of grace, you bless the father that taught you the doctrines of our Lord. That's the way it has been ever since God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And none is beneath his gracious condescension. You know, we had in chapter 15 the parables of of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. How much he valued what was considered, you know, 99 and 1. Why are you chasing after the one? Why are you putting at risk those that are well off to those that aren't? And Jesus says, even those little infants that you're not valuing, those belong to me too. Bring them unto me. God shows his love for us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's proper for parents to seek the covenant blessings out of obedient faith and love for their children which they're doing in verse 15, which the disciples seek to obstruct. Now, this is not a passage about infant baptism. And, and, I, and I understand we have visitors that don't do that. But PCU, understand that, that if, if they are part of the kingdom, we give them the blessings of the kingdom. And our faith for our children, our faith does avail for other people. If you look in chapter 5, verse 20, you have the man that is paralyzed and he's being lowered through the, uh, the roof of the building. And Jesus, it's interesting how Luke puts this. He says, and Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, and he says to the man, your sins are forgiven you. James in chapter 5, 15, 16 
says that our prayers for others avail much to the healing of others, but also to the forgiveness of sins of others. Do you pray for the conversion of those that aren't converted? When they are converted and God answers your prayer, are you thankful or do you think you were not doing anything? You were just whatever. No, your prayers avail. God answers prayer. And your faith can avail to somebody else's faith. Now, it's not that you are saving anyone. Christ saves. But the spirit and the power goes where it wills, as as Jesus tells Nicodemus. And it's mysterious to us. There are people that reject the Lord that hear a better gospel presentation than a lot of people that come in humility to Jesus Christ. And the mystery of that is the grace of Jesus Christ, is the power of God, the will of God. We don't know. We know that, we don't, we know that people aren't saved because of their worthiness. We know that people aren't saved because of their merits. We know they're not saved by their own works. But that doesn't mean that they're not saved because somebody else asked God to save them. That's still God's sovereign decision. And we ought to be bearing those things. And when we come back to our own, even if that might not be the requirements, brethren, we ought to be praying for everyone. But more closely, your children in your home are your charge. And you will give answer to them. And we ought to seek their blessing early. As soon as we can. And certainly a baptism. But again, if, if we baptize our infants and we go away like our hypothetical mother that, with a pharisaical heart that was just touched by the holy man and had no more to do with it. Then that is not to, to, to bless that child, but to curse that child with a blessing that they squandered. We baptize And we instruct and we discipline and we raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they can own the blessings of that baptism. Jesus forbids us forbidding the little ones to come. But also we see in verse 17, and perhaps this presses us individually more fervently. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. He is not saying, by the way, that we have to be baptized as little children or that we have to come into him as little children, that we have to have parents that believed. That's not what he's saying. Uh, Because there were many there around them that had come to him in the lateness of their life. Nor is he telling us by this that we have to be children in our understanding, that we ought to be simple-minded and seek to remain simple-minded. Are immature. You know, one of the things that uh, a certain Protestant uh, preachers would 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 pick on the the medieval church for was a, a literalism of this passage that would cause some monks and friar, friars, more than monks, to go and and perform shenanigans, as it were, the of being foolish and childlike. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, uh, that, that 
Do not be children in understanding. Be children in malice, but in understanding be men. And then he gives us a clue of how to understand it here. That, that we ought not to be scorning others. But more particularly, it's the receptivity of faith that he's talking about. In the first, uh, well, in the, the, the immediate preceding uh, parable, the parable of the publican and the Pharisee, the Pharisee goes in and he bargains with God and he puts forth those worthy things he has done to, to justify himself. But he's not the one that goes justified before God. It's the publican who says, have mercy upon me, a sinner. It's a humility as a shameless receiver that fits us for the kingdom of heaven. And what is a more shameless receiver, beggar, a presumptuous beggar even, than a little child that is hungry, than an infant that will not be quiet because you need him to be quiet for just a little bit. He needs his milk. And he'll be angry. But, but we have to have that same sort of shameless reason because there's nothing that we bring to our Savior to commend ourselves to him. That he receives us by grace alone in our helplessness and humility. And we need to be like infants in that. Or, or like the, the woman that, that was seeking justice from the unjust judge and she was that squeaky wheel that wouldn't let him rest until he... Until uh, he gave her justice. Or Israel wrestling with God who would not let him go until the Lord blessed him. That we have to be earnest in our demanding to receive. That it is not an insult to God to, to request of his mercy with importunity. With confidence, with presumption. But not a presumption on our own merits. But just a presumption, he has what I need, and I need it, and I'm not going to let him go until he gives it to me. Jesus will say that in another way. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by storm. When he says, you must, uh, he who will not receive the kingdom of God is a little one, will not receive the kingdom of God, he's saying the exact same thing. It needs to be our all, or it's nothing. In the Old Testament, the Jews worshipped Jehovah God, but they also worshipped Baal and the Queen of Heaven and uh, the Asherah and all these other things. And God is not worshipped when he's one amongst many. Even so, we only have one Savior. We only have one great need. And everything else has to fall to the side. The Lord knows you have need of food, raiment, and clothing. But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek the Lord's blessing. Seek to be nourished in the spirit. As that angry, whiny baby is seeking to be nourished at his mama's breast. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. The two areas of application. Now I'll be brief because we're through time. First, as the question of who are members of Christ's church. It's easy to answer in the Old Testament. Christ's church was uh, the children of Abraham. But not just the children of Abraham. Those that united themselves with him. The Ruth, the Moabitess, and others that made him their God. And to their children after them. And therefore the male children were circumcised. 
But here Jesus also says, the kingdom of God is made up of infants. It belongs to them. And so in our confession of faith, we say that the church, the visible church, is believers and their children. They're infants. They're uh, the ones that will be expected to be raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we, of course, then consider it a crime to deny them the sacred sign. Now, we wouldn't, with peace to our brothers' brethren, we wouldn't impose that as if somebody conscientiously objected and, and didn't understand the scripture foundation of that. You know, we don't want people to, to do something for their children out of tradition without devotion and obedience to the Lord. But we do. But even if we baptize, we're also committing to more than that. If they're baptized, they're not also to be taught and disciplined and instructed in our holy faith. So that they might, as soon as possible, know for themselves the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't just, it's not a one-off sort of thing. Your own faith. If you are trusting to go to heaven and be received up into the kingdom of heaven because you made a decision in your youth and you gave no further thought about what Jesus Christ has done for you and what you owe Jesus Christ, you will be like one of those that say that the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Because we're not saved by a decision. Uh, The word is not that we're saved by faith. We're justified by faith. We're made righteous through the faith that we put on him. We're saved by the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. And we ought to be bringing those particularly in our charge to know him. But what of us? What of your own place in the kingdom of Christ? Are you eager for the blessing? Are you eager for the blessing that Jesus Christ gives? We're not ignorant of it. It's power over sin. But how often do we do we want the comforts of Christ when we think about death? We want the comforts of Christ when we think about what is socially acceptable. We want the comforts of Christ for all these other reasons, but when it comes to letting go of our sin and crushing it under the foot of Jesus Christ, well, pastor, you're meddling now. Or I don't really want to deal with that. The blessings that he gives is power over our sin, holiness and righteousness. And do you seek that blessing? Do you, do you, do you seek to promote it in others as well? Or are you restricting it? Jesus says in 17.2 that anyone that offends one of the least of the little ones It's better for him that a millstone was hanged around his neck and thrown into the ocean. Jesus is rebuking his disciples because they are in danger of incurring judgment because they're preventing the kingdom of God of blessing the most helpless. Not every infant out there is your responsibility. Not every sinner out there is your responsibility. But my heart is my responsibility. And as a head of a household, my household is my responsibility. And as as a member of the community of Jesus Christ here, my brethren are my responsibility. 
Those that the Lord puts in your way are your responsibility. And we ought to be seeking their blessing. Because the blessings of the Lord, it's not a zero-sum game. They overflow. Just as when He blesses you, your cup overflows. So when He blesses the church, it overflows. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would indeed receive us as little children, that we might desire you shamelessly, that we might throw ourselves presumptuously upon your grace, that we might demand of you righteousness and holiness and peace, that we might know in Christ Jesus and by your gracious goodwill that we have it. We ask, dear Lord, that you would humble us, but that you would also work in us love and compassion for those that do not know you and particularly those that, that we can help. We ask that we would see your gospel go forth in power. We pray that sinners would, would be humbled for their sin and turn to you and find life. We pray these things in Jesus' name.